The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion. If you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery to share your thoughts and comments. So did you ever feel like you were spread too thin? In our busy society today, we often find our attention scattered among many competing activities. We are so used to being busy that we even have a name for it. We call it multitasking. But in recovery, we learn that the importance and the power of focus. We are so glad that you can join us today as we explore this essential skill of staying on task with our recovery. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of living a scattered life and then move into the solution of focus and strength. And after the break, we'll share exactly how we used focus and strength to create the lives that we desired. So Lonnie, what was your experience like uh, pre-recovery when life was scattered? Well, you know, I've always been a high energy person and I was kind of a hyper kid you know, and I, and I didn't ever need a lot of sleep. So I always was busy with all these different activities. I had all of these, these interests. And so I would dabble in a lot of things. I tried just about everything in terms of, you know, uh, hobbies and activities and school activities and things of that nature. Um, that changed after a while, you know, after I got, uh, into the, to, into the addictive part, I, uh, you know, I, I couldn't finish things. It was, it was really, uh, became frustrating for me. I remember uh, always feeling like I was playing catch up somehow. Like the, I distinctly remember feeling that the world moved too fast for me, that uh, somehow uh, some, uh, something was wrong with me. I didn't know what, that I needed, uh, if I could create, magically create an extra day of the week, I needed that day just to do absolutely nothing to almost uh, recover from the rest of the days during the week. But that's not how it was. But just that feeling of just always being behind. And, and it's not as if someone else is, <clears throat> excuse me, 
putting tasks on my list or anything. Uh, it was all me. You know, I when I look back, I think of, of things like, you know, my mom had four kids under the age of five. And so we were grouped very closely and there were always activities going on and it, they had to be activities that would engage everybody, all five of us. I'm thinking about being snowed in on the farm, for example, you know, two or three days with a bunch of kids and nothing to do. And, you know, and we, ex we explored music and we explored uh, crafts, a whole variety of crafts. And I was into woodworking and it was always, you know, switch from one thing to the next. Uh, we didn't get much in the way of reception, so I wasn't a TV fanatic, but, you know, my attention uh, didn't seem to stick with one thing very long. It was always moving around. And so, you know, the thing that that helped me with was, um, you know, my parents said, well, you can do anything you want to. You can be anybody you want to be. And that encouraged me to continue exploring all these interests. I uh, thinking back, I, I know I was, um, I was keeping it together pretty well uh, up until the very end, and and I'm what we'd call a high bottom drunk. You know, I didn't lose my marriage, kids, house, uh, and all that yet. I'm sure I would have eventually gotten there. Uh, my first sponsor told me my toes were on the edge of the cliff. That helped me understand exactly where I was. I'm glad I got out when I did. But uh, even though I was keeping it together, there were lots of things that were going undone. You know, this this scattered feeling, this sort of lack of focus or the scattered energy uh, for me it showed up in things like uh, you know house repairs and maintenance didn't get done we had a uh, a deck in the back that had a railing with um, balusters and really that that thing needed to be painted maybe every four years uh, and and we'd let it go forever and ever uh, I learned all this because we recently sold that house and uh, I got to do all of the things that didn't get done. Uh, so it was a kind of a time of making amends to the house and that's how I thought of it. But during that time, uh, pre-recovery, when we were in that house, part of a scattered life for me meant that yeah, even though it looked uh, pretty good and all the big pieces were getting taken care of, mortgage getting paid, lights getting paid and all that, uh, there was still stuff that was uh, falling between the cracks. You know, for me, it looks like overcommitment, um, and it can still be a challenge. But I, I was in a place where I, I think I was bored or something, or I was looking for more is what I was looking for. And I had a full-time daytime job, and then I took an evening part-time job. And then, you know, I continued to uh, do some part-time school, you know, that I didn't finish. And I, I wasn't devoted 100% to anything. I was obsessed with different pieces of it, but I would get 80% done and then I'm out of there. I'm done. Yeah, I've had those experiences of the kind of unfinished projects or many times I had felt like I came upon the activity or the idea that was going to be it for the rest of my life. I had finally found it and this is going to be great. You know, it might have been a an interest in uh, aviation came up for a while. Um, you know, I dug into that for a few years, but that experience of feeling like, uh, okay, now this is it is part of, I think what kept my life scattered, sort of like what you're describing. You go down a path and with the best of intentions, I mean, I, I was truly into it uh, when I was doing it, but at some point <clears throat> I might lose, um, lose focus on it. 
that was always the way it played out for me. I would I would get into it and I would lose focus. Um, you know, I taught myself to play guitar, and when I could play four car- chords, I quit. You know, I can still play the same four chords today, but, you know, I didn't pursue that any farther. You know, I was in band in high school, and I learned to play the flute, and I didn't do anything with it until 10 years ago. Um, you know, I just didn't take anything very far. You know, it reminds me of the uh, of the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. You know, that, that kind of described my approach to, I needed to know, I was driven to know something about a lot of things, but I, I it took a while before I could um, get in a place where I could, what I would say, master anything. And I don't feel like I really ever did before recovery because I couldn't. What I was obsessed on, what I was focused on was the addiction, feeding the addiction, which we've talked about in a previous discussion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that always came first. And and because it always came first, uh, by definition, everything else came second or later, uh, like my home projects or um, any of the many other things that I got into briefly. I know that my life had that frantic kind of energy because mm-hmm. I, I carried a goal forever. It felt like my life goal was to get to where there was nothing on my calendar I never could quite get to where there was nothing on my calendar. Same with my to-do list. Uh, that That's not the case anymore, but for many, many years, for a long time, and this is related to what I was just sharing about, feeling like the world's moving too fast. You know, I did not have the internal emotional structures to deal with all that was coming at me in the world um, on a day-to-day basis. And what that felt like is that the world moves too fast for me. And so... I had, uh, you know, sort of my dream situation was where uh, everything slowed down, where where stuff wasn't getting constantly put on my list and stuff wasn't constantly finding its way onto my calendar. Uh, the world was just going too fast for me. You know, and the more and more I added to my calendar, the more things that I took on, the more times I couldn't say no to family, to friends, to job, other obligations, um, committee work, you know, variety of things, the more my stress increased. And of course, you know, the more my stress increased, the more I wanted relief from that. And the only way at that point that I was handling stress was by, you know, either pills or or alcohol. So that only contributed to increasing the stress. I remember waking up at I'd go to bed late. I'd, I committed. I was leading an organization at that time, and I would I'd committed to to do the monthly meeting. I went to bed at midnight. I got up at 3 a.m. because I had forgotten to put the agenda together, you know, and I was always doing things at the last minute. And while they were passable, I'm sure they weren't my best work. It was examples like that. Um, I had insomnia anyway from the alcohol. You know, it doesn't does not help you sleep more than two hours, you know, and and then uh, and then it, it creates all kinds of other situations. And so I was awake a lot. So I found myself overworking in a, trying to play catch up, like you were mentioning earlier, trying to get caught up with everything I had committed to do. Yeah, that uh, that dynamic of uh, increased stress. And so we have our go-to solution for stress, which, as we say, works till it doesn't. Uh, and ironically, while it certainly felt like it relieved stress, it created more stress in a different way. And slowly over time, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it comes, it, ca- it came to a head for me. Um, I, I know one, one way that I know how much stress I was under. And, and again, that's sort of like a fish in water, right? When you're right in the middle of it, 
uh, you don't necessarily recognize it. I didn't. Is that uh, my family would go on vacation each summer for two weeks, and it took me five days to come down and to relax. And I only knew that uh, when I actually was down and relaxed on the fifth day. Uh, the striking difference between how that felt and how my uh, usual life felt. Uh, I remember being surprised and somewhat concerned to find out that it took me five entire days at the beach with nothing uh, that I needed to do in order to relax. That's not a good sign. And so being wound tight like that, unlike I was, and all the stress, the self-imposed stress, uh, the delays because of the hangovers and what have you, that just, you know, it created physical problems for me as well. I was like 22, 23 years old and I had stomach problems. I was being treated for an ulcer and I had high blood pressure and, you know, there were all these internal things going on as well. It was not good for my health. And so it, it, it seemed to, well, it contributed to the unmanageability that got me into the program. I remember, uh, <clears throat> Early in my life, you know, I'm thinking 20s, I think, that I, it was not uncommon at all for me to just wake up angry. And and I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I woke up and, and I was angry. And, the, you know, the, the stress that contributed to that, and again, as we're talking about, um, alcohol seeming like such a good solution, uh, and in a short term, yes. I mean, and, and that's why it seems like such a good solution because it certainly seems to deliver uh, relief uh, in the short term. But man, it's got uh, it's got a tail on it, you know, that circles back around, and uh, it's not good in the end. But yeah, just sort of care, not realizing how much scattered energy stress that I was carrying until something like that would happen. And so, you know, we've had, both of us have had various experiences of this challenge of this scattered life. So what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that we have the ability to focus and to persevere and that we can succeed in our goals through directed effort. And this ability to endure, to stay the course and to persevere is one of unity's 12 powers. Uh, Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore identified 12 powers or abilities that we all have. And these are spiritual tools that we can use to grow as we walk our life's path. And so the power that helps us stay on track in our recovery is the power of strength. And that's what we want to talk about today. So what is the power of strength? What does it mean for us to focus our strength in a recovery context? Well, um, I always go to uh, the website. That that might be the Google search that I've typed more than any other Google searches, Unity 12 Powers, because uh, on that is all kinds of information, and it describes, uh, as we said, that strength is the ability to endure, to stay the course, and to persevere. So to kind of I think of it as that that ability we have just to push through, to get it done, to cross the, the finish line. Um, to muscle through, I guess. What does it mean to you? Well, when I reflect on that, I can see that I have used that, but in a in a uh, in a way that was detrimental. You know, I don't know how many times I would say things to myself like, "I'm going to do this if it kills me," you know, and that was that exemplified that power of strength. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to keep trying. I'm not going to quit. You know, um, and and I'm going to make this work. Well, that's what fed my addiction. 
I'm going to make this work. So now I have to learn how to, how do I use this power of strength, this ability? How do I redirect this in a way that it can be uh, supportive of me instead of supportive of something that's destructive? Right. This is reminding me how, you know, all, all of these abilities, what we call the 12 powers and really anything that we can do, um, can be used well and can be used poorly or can be used skillfully and can be used unskillfully. Uh, we've talked about that uh, with with other powers. And I know that um, as you're describing strength, the strength is being used to, as you said, uh, I'm going to I'm going to finish this if it kills me. <laughs> that might be uh, an unskillful use of strength. And once again, it seems like uh, everything in recovery circles back around at some point or other to the concept of balance. And so, of course, what do we learn when we talk about learning to use focus strength? Uh, we learn to use strength in the, you know, what we might call the right proportions. Uh, just like we have that saying, do the next right thing. Well, what is the next right thing? Well, I'm not sure. It varies from person to person and moment to moment. But whatever it is, do that. That's the right thing to do. Same way as to use an appropriate, that's a good word, appropriate amount of focus and strength. You know, on that word focus, um, I first remember hearing it when I was uh, reprimanded at some point in my childhood with, well, can't you just focus? You know, something, something along those lines. And later, when I had this obsession, this obsession that is part of the addiction problem, um, I didn't understand that, that that really is two sides of the same coin, that obsession is an un, uh, undirected, um, probably unconscious focus. I call it a superpower. This, yes. this power of obsession is my superpower. I have the power to focus. I have the power to, to get deeply involved in something to the exclusion of everything else, at which point it becomes obsession. So I think to your point, balance is back it off a few notches and and bring some other things into focus as well. But if I back it off too far, then I'm interested in 500 other things and I don't get anything done. Yeah, I find that uh, my attention is kind of like a flashlight. You know, some of those flashlights where you can twist the lens and it'll focus it sharper or widen it out. You know, there's kind of an optimal uh, spread for the light. And I, I was uh, diagnosed uh, earlier in my life with ADD. And what I came to understand about that is just like you're saying, and I consider it a superpower, it is the ability to laser focus on things to the exclusion, as you said, of everything else. Now that's, that's quote bad if the everything else uh, needs some attention as well, but it's also extremely powerful. Um, and not everyone can do it. I think, can focus their mind as tightly um, as I can. It sounds like as you can uh, with what we call, uh, we call it obsession when it's, um, you know, an unhealthy use of it. But that helped me to understand that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. This is the way my mind works. And, and when I know how it works, then I can better work with it. Um, and work and not against it. So I came to see that uh, ability to focus that showed up in me as ADD uh, as a superpower. And that was one of the things that helped me to work through it. I, I no longer feel um, that I that I fit that diagnosis, but certainly um, 15, 20 years ago I did. So another 
aspect of this for me is the power of will or this power, this ability to make choices. You know, when my obsession runs wild, it doesn't matter what the subject of the obsession is, but when this obsession runs wild, it, it grabs onto something and does not let it go, whether it's finishing the latest book, whether it's, you know, deep into a website, whether it's, you know, a particular activity with somebody. I have not made a conscious choice about that. You know, conscious and intentional choices change my focus. That's where, for me, the balance comes in, where I can say, do I, do I really want to spend three more hours on this? You know, I mean, uh, so often, as they say, work expands to, to fit the time available for it. I don't want one task to fill up all my available time. So I have to be able to make conscious choices around that. And that, that's something that uh, I had struggled with before because I was running on autopilot. Yeah, I'm, rem I'm remembering we even have idioms in our language about that, about not putting too fine a point on it. You know, how much time do I need to spend on this task? How fine a point do I need to put on it? Or, you know, we don't need to gold plate this, okay? It's all right the way it is. It doesn't have to be the optimal, ultimate, uh, you know, inspect it with, uh, with a magnifying glass and make sure everything's exactly right. Uh, most of the time in life, uh, things don't need to be quote, perfect, or what I might think of as perfect. And so I had to learn to um, back off a little bit and let things be okay um, where they were and understand that it's really, you know, the, the doneness of something is really just relative to whatever the definition of done is for that thing. And that varies um, from time to time. So the, for me, the bottom line is the key is to use the quote, right amount uh, each one, the right amount of strength, the right amount of focus. And given that uh, apparently one of my core mantras in life is more is better, uh, it was challenging for me to uh, learn the, the right amount, the appropriate, it's probably a better word, the appropriate amount for any given situation. And, you know, it's an ongoing, it's a practice. Like, uh, like much of spiritual growth, it's an ongoing practice. Life is uh, far better now than it was. And uh, more is better is is not sort of number one on my list anymore, thank God. And so for me, part of this is uh, when I entered into recovery, it was pointed out that I needed to make recovery first. I didn't know how to do that. I had to, um, you know, find this new way of life. And they told me that only a spiritual way of life would arrest, not cure, this obsession, you know, this obsession and compulsion that I had that we call addiction. And so I, I had a goal now. I had to be able to refocus to make recovery a priority, but I didn't have a clue how to do that. I knew that if I put my mind to something, I could do that. Back again to the power of strength. I'll do it if it's going to kill me. Um, but I had to have the desire to do that. I had to have the willingness to do that. Yeah, I found that one way that strength um, can show up on a recovery path is it's it's that it's that saying "suit up and show up." You know, just go to the meeting, just do it. Uh, that um, sense of of the perseverance that uh, you know, I had a sponsor tell me go, go to a meeting every day unless you really really don't want to go, and in that case, go to two meetings that day. So just do it. You know, use that that same 
power uh, that we might use to uh, get a hold of alcohol if we if we were willing to go to that extent to uh, get into um, the recovery community, then we're probably going to be okay. So some of those, even the out of balance uh, strength, could at least get us started uh, on a recovery path. And um, I'm grateful for that. You know, it's not it's not as if we've got to get everything right before we can do this recovery thing. That's not true at all. We just have to be ready and willing to do it, and all of the pieces will fall in place over time. You know, and that perfectionism that you spoke of is really was a stumbling block for me because I wanted to to suit up and show up and be perfect when I walked in the door. You know, I wanted to be better than I felt and better than I was. Um, and I certainly wasn't able to do that. And so being able to pull that back to just one more, just one more meeting, just one more phone call, just one more paragraph in the literature you know, just just one more time that I talk about this situation that's eating my lunch. Um, just being able to pull it back to just one more and letting it unfold. I remember being in a meeting after a series of events in my in my recovery that uh, had me really down. And one of the old dudes there said to me, he says, when you hit the end of your rope, he said, tie a knot in it and hang on. And just, you know, if I hadn't been at that meeting, I wouldn't have heard that. Yeah, there are many of those uh, sayings that they I found they both have the ability to drive me crazy. You know, I want to roll my eyes sometimes when I hear them. But then again, uh, when I realize why uh, those are the sayings that, that we have, um, you know, it takes on a whole new meaning. I'm going to talk about that later, uh, I think. But um, that idea you were just sharing about just one more, I, I kind of had almost... Uh, I guess a similar approach, but an opposite outcome. Um, I always joked that I knew exactly how much I was going to drink and when I was going to quit. I was going to drink one more and I was going to quit tomorrow. And so that one more uh, just goes so well hand in hand with my more is better uh, way of living that oh, if, if, if just one more was good, I could definitely live with that because then right after that came one more again. Um, but I can see how you use it kind of as a, um, oh, I don't know what the word is, you know, something to regulate, I guess, sort of rein in uh, our attention or our focus is to set a kind of a boundary you know, with ourselves and say that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do until here and then I'm going to move on, which, of course, uh, if, it was, if I was trying to apply that to alcohol while I was actively drinking, that didn't work at all. But I found in sobriety that it can and does work and helps me to make better decisions. And for me, it was about willingness. I was, ne I was never, I didn't walk in the door 100% willing to do anything. I walked in 51% willing. And that's where the just one more comes from. But we're going to hold that thought at this point because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue our conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with sound healer Terry Wilder and Mystical Gong Meditations. Take some time right now and give yourself this minute of meditation. Breathe in and breathe out. Meditation, because some questions can't be answered by Google. Stop for a minute and give yourself this gift of mindfulness. Breathe in and breathe out. Slow down. Calm down. Don't worry. Don't hurry. Trust the process. To hear more healing gong meditations, visit terrywilder.com. For over 23 years, Liz Dunn and the team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting life-changing events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself in 2019. Tickets are available now for the International Women's Summit, March 7th to 10th in Phoenix, Arizona, featuring some of the most inspirational speakers in the realm of mind, body, and spirit. Do something for yourself this year. Go to CelebrateYourLife.com and reserve your space today. Every summer, Unity hosts an international convention, and you're invited. It's not just for ministers or members of Unity churches, but for anyone who could use a week of inspiration and connecting with others interested in spirituality. The Unity People's Convention will be in the Kansas City area the week of June 17th. Register online at unityworldwideministries.org slash registration. Sign up today and take advantage of the early bird discount through February. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in just a minute, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And we'd like to give a shout out to Mike 
in Georgia. Thank you, Mike, for your generous donation to Spirit of Recovery Radio. We really appreciate it. So, Lonnie, prior to the break, we were talking about how uh, pre-recovery, we were leading lives that were scattered uh, in many ways, and that we found that the power of focus and strength is what was going to lead us to uh, living the life that we would like to. So now that we know that that's true, how exactly can we use focus and strength to create a successful life? Well, as I was sharing before the break, um, I had to start with willingness. I was only 51% willing, but that was enough to get me started. And what was I willing to do? I was willing to follow directions. I didn't like them. I didn't like being told what to do. I didn't think they were going to work, but I would do them some of the time. And my life started improving uh, accordingly. And when I could do those when I would say no I said I'm going to to do this program so I'm going to follow these directions usually it was something my sponsor asked me to do Um, that was an example of the power of the strength that redirecting what I want to do back to what I need to do what I should be doing in order to to recover so I had to refocus a lot I in looking back I realized that the most important step for me was you know setting down the alcohol and leaving behind um, that obsession. I don't think that any of these tools would have worked uh, if I was not able to at least do that at first. And so the the focus and strength, if you will, that has uh, helped me in my recovery first showed up as the, you know, the strength to persevere leading a sober life, you know, the, the strength to, um, think just for today and uh, one day at a time, for example. And I'd shared uh, previously how I'd heard an old timer, old timer, 40 plus years uh, say that, you know, in the first couple of years of of your recovery, if your head hits the pillow uh, at night and you haven't taken a drink, then you win. Nothing else matters. You know, after a couple of years, now when you start talking about work, family, uh, other things need to be blended in. But at first, if you don't take a drink, you win. And so just simply doing that uh, was the first way that I can see that I was using strength and, and focused effort um, to walk this recovery path. My start was a little bit slower. I was in a different 12-step program um, prior to arriving in um, in the one that I'm in now for this addiction. And, um, and I continued to drink that whole time. It was a year. I continued to drink for a year, but, but this power of strength showed up, um, in that I continued to go. I had gotten into therapy. I was in group therapy. I was attending all the events. I was attending all the functions. I was going to the meetings because I desperately wanted to be better. I wanted not to feel the way that I felt. However, I could not put the alcohol down yet. But something got through the fog, and at one point, bingo, I put the alcohol down, and now that power of strength could propel me because I had the habit of continuing to go to meetings and to, to participate in, in the uh, recovery activities and the, the therapy. Um, I, I had that under my belt. I knew I could do that. I wasn't sure what else I could do, but I could do that. Yeah. Sometimes I think that, you know, we, we joke about what is what is the uh, answer to the mystery of life? What is the answer to life's questions? Well, the answer is balance. It always comes back to balance for me. Now, the trick, of course, balance what and how, well, th- those are the details. But balance, uh, I began to balance life 
by doing a couple things. One is by slowing down a little bit and by making the recovery community a part of my life. And so just to take the time to uh, show up and sit down and listen and share uh, when guided, when appropriate, uh, and to just let that be a part of my life was uh, super helpful. And that took some uh, you know, perseverance. The first year I was sober, there was a, a midday, a noontime meeting near where I worked. And so I would go there every weekday. And that just became a part of my uh, life. And I would walk over there. So it was, it was a, a, a good excuse to take a walk. It wasn't far, less than 10 minutes, maybe five Um and just kind of slow down, set aside whatever else was going on and pause and join the community, be a part of that community, and then go back and do whatever it was I was doing. So though, that was a way um, making a commitment to being in the community helped me early on to learn some balance that I hadn't had before that became really important in that, you know, focused on recovery, using the strength to persevere and show up. Every day, no matter what, um, served me very well. That was a really good experience for me that first year. So I showed up in in recovery with much the same mindset that I had previously. Uh, joiner, engaged in everything, on every committee, holding two jobs, etc. And I was overwhelmed because now I didn't have anything to take the edge off. And so I was I was using a calendar, and I would. I would schedule everything else first, and then I'd try to find a place for a meeting, and then I'd find a, try to find a place for my therapy, and then I'd try to find a place for uh, my sponsor. And one day, somebody told me, I think it was my therapist, that said, no, you put me on the schedule first, and you schedule everything else around that. And I, I was willing to do that, but I didn't have a sense of priority or a sense of perspective. What is important? What is not important? What contributes to my recovery? What does not? Uh, because all of these other pieces, you know, what about my job? What about my finances? What about my relationships? What about, you know, my relatives, and my family, and on and on and on. All of those things were swirling, and I had no way to sort them out and make sense of them. But in that calendar, that was one clue. The other thing, it was a little pocket calendar that I carried. My sponsor told me this. She said, I want you to write the word no in big letters on a sticky note. And every time somebody asks you to do something, open your calendar, see the note that says no, and say, you know what? I need to think about this. When do you need to know? <laughs> and that helped me immensely because it, when I was put on the spot for somebody to ask me, well, hey, you want to do this on such and so night? If there was an empty spot, I'd put it in there. I didn't know how to say no. But so I learned these little tiny incremental ways to delay until I had time to think about it, I had time to process it with somebody, I had time to decide whether it was on my priority list at all. Because several times I had to call people and say, you know, I didn't have any business committing to that, I'm sorry. And I didn't like doing that. Yeah, it sounds like your sponsor was able to give you some support, almost give you an excuse, a reason to pause for a moment there, which uh, gives you, of course, options. You know, we talk about one uh, definition of addiction is the lack of choice, right? Lack of options. And so recovery means regaining options. And I can see that so clearly in that story where you, you regained or gained uh, the ability to step back and decide, uh, does this really fit for me or not? You don't have to say yes right away. I had some similar experiences. And there are some things that I, I really can't say 
how these changes happened in my life. I know they happened uh, one day at a time. I know they happened by uh, maintaining my spiritual condition, uh, by living uh, what I think of as a God-centered life. But I was somehow able to uh, learn to leave work at work. I was I was not uh, I could not leave work at work. Wherever I went, everything went with me uh, in my busy, busy mind. And I, I had a really hard time um, doing anything you might call compartmentalizing. You know, it's like if I'm at home, I'm going to forget about work. No, I remember many evenings I spent 1030 at night with my laptop, uh, you know, in bed with my laptop on my knees, hammering away at some software or other. So somewhere along the way in this recovery process, I learned to pick things up and set them down. And I'll pick something up else up, and then I'll set it down. And to really to do one thing at a time, you know, kind of like those uh, some of those Zen stories uh, remind us of, or the the practice of washing dishes. You know, being right here, right now, doing just one thing. We we talk, and you'd mentioned before in the opening about multitasking. And I heard some news stories recently that were saying, you know, some people looked into that and there's really no such thing as multitasking. You can still only do one thing at a time, but you can rotate really quickly and it feels like you're doing more than one thing at a time, but you're not. And that in reality, we're probably doing them all poorly and we would be much better off if we would just pick one of them and do it well and stay focused on it. And that really resonated for me. That made a lot of sense. Uh, That was one of those things that I heard it and I felt like, yeah, I always sort of knew that that was true. And it, and I loved it because it supported my new way of living in recovery, my new way of uh, slowing down, of doing things well, focusing on one thing at a time. And out of that came the ability to set things aside. And it's, it's just completely changed my life. As I had mentioned before, I'm a slow learner <laughs> when it comes to those kinds of things. I uh, I was living by the calendar for a long while, and I have to say I still do to a to a large degree. Um, I I was in a tech job for a while that um, I was doing the same thing, bringing the laptop home, working 60, 70 hours a week, you know, committed 100 percent, and and the relationship and everything else fall, fell apart. You know, the uh, the finances looked pretty good, but that was about it. And, you know, at that point, my my sponsor pointed out that I had switched one addiction for another. You know, workaholism is a socially acceptable addiction. And it and and the definition is of the obsession with work. And so I didn't want to be that way. And I found that I couldn't just set things down. I would I did not have control of this obsession. Um, this obsessive mind, it would grab something else. Then it was shopping, and then it grabbed something else, and then it was food, and then it grabbed something else, and then it was relationships. And so it took me a long time to practice. And what I found helped me a lot with that is uh, devising a structure. And I was given instructions when I first came into the program that was helpful. They said the first thing every morning, do this. And they said, pray, read your literature, go to a meeting when you can text or call the sponsor and check in and then at night you know write three things on your gratitude list and um and say thank you if you're still clean and sober those were tools that framed my day but i didn't have any structure in the middle of my day you know it was just like free for all 
and I'd slide in at night and go, well, I made it, you know, and so I found that for me, I had to, I carried a list for almost 10 years that, that was more or less linear the way my day needed to go. This was work time. This was meeting time. This was family time. And, um, you know, I, I look back on it. I was carrying a paper copy back in the day and one of my friends looked at it and she goes, where's your free time? I said, well, that's the pink. She goes, you need more pink on that paper. You know, I just, I did not know how to wind down, how to uh, prevent my mind from grabbing something and focusing on it. What you just described there, I'm realizing was exactly what was recommended in a time management book that I once got. The author of the time management book basically said, you know, take your calendar and block out for different kinds of activities. During this time, I'm doing this thing. During this time, I'm doing that thing. And then stick to those big pieces. So I can see why that would be super helpful. I mean, to move from a scattered life to a life that had some structure, but it wasn't just willy-nilly. It was intentional. And yes, maybe you needed some more pink uh, uh, downtime in there, but I can see how that would be super helpful. I know, uh, and and when I spoke before about uh, learning how to do things like leave work at work, I mean, this has been after years and years uh, in recovery and had gone through seminary and and all of that. And another one that's kind of like that, that I realized more lately, is that I have learned to live with far more on my plate than I've ever had before. Now, if you remember, my main uh, mantra in life was uh, to to not have anything to do, to get to a place where my schedule was empty, my to-do list was empty, my calendar was, um, and then to look and to see what I'm, all of the different kinds of things that I'm doing now, and I'm still feeling perfectly comfortable. So something really big has changed uh, in my life, and I can only attribute it to, um, to sobriety and uh, being in recovery and um, living my life on spiritual terms. It just, it just works even in, in some of these ways that I never would have thought um, that it would have changed uh, like that, uh, you know, and what do we call it? Your, what's your MO, your modus operandi? What is your whole deal? My whole deal was, I don't want to do it. I want to get to where there's nothing to do. Um, and that's not true anymore. If I had nothing to do, I would go out and find people to serve, things to learn, uh, ways to get engaged. And that is, that's really different for me. And that's a, that's a gift of sobriety and such a radical change that I, that's, how, that's one way I know that this works. So as I was mentioning earlier about this rotating obsession, um, you know, once I be I became became committed to um, the basics of recovery, to doing those things on the list, to following my structure on a on a daily basis, I had a few curveballs come my way, and and those those would pull my attention away. You know, life on life's terms. You know, I was diagnosed with cancer. All of a sudden, my health became all-consuming, and I would worry and worry and worry, and, you know, I would obsess about what's going to happen. I was diagnosed with cancer and, and uh, did not know what was going to happen, and they couldn't tell from the kind, you know, from the from the pathology slides, and they had to send them off, and there was all this fear and uncertainty around that, and, you know, and, and the next thing that happened was because of that, I had about two years of unemployment, I went through a bankruptcy, and so then I had all this fear and uncertainty around all of that, and so my mind would gravitate from one of these big life event things to the next, and and I would have to rein it in. Well, how do you do that? I have to go back to my schedule, but what I found about that is that 
Um, well, one of the tools that helped me with that was something, again, that my sponsor said to me. She said, have you done everything about this you can do today? Whatever the this was. Yes, I've made all the appointments I need to make. I've made all the phone calls I need to make. You know, okay, then set it aside. It was as if I had to be given permission instead of wondering what I had left undone, what, what was going to fall in the cracks because I wasn't on point, on vigilance, you know, on that particular subject. And so it helped me to use that as a tool. Have I done everything today that I need to do for this? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's, it's reminding me, and I'm, I'm thinking now about the various slogans that we have in the program, because in, in, the, in the group that was my second home group, where I was for uh, several years, the, the, in, the building on the inside, the meeting room, was, the walls were covered with um, handmade wooden, you know, carved signs that had every, every saying that you could uh, think of, you know, AA, altered attitudes, and along with keep coming back and a zillion other things. And what just came to mind, you said that is keep it simple. You know, have, have I done everything that I can do today? about this. Well, if I have, well, how then do I keep it simple? Well, that, that's, that's clearly done. Is there something uh, I can move on to? Or, or do I have the ability to, to set that down somehow? And I, re I remember, and I still love this, that the concept of keeping it simple went so well with my desire to reduce the frantic you know, energy in my life. That, that's what I was after when I was saying, when I would say that I, I want to make it so there's nothing on my to-do list and nothing on my calendar. I wanted to keep it simple. I needed life to be simpler than it was. When, the, when I felt like the world is moving too fast, that feels complicated. I was after simplicity. So to come to understand that a core uh, concept in recovery is to keep it simple. I thought, man, this, this, this sounds great to me. I definitely want to learn how to keep it simple. And I have been able to, um, you know, we, we call our program sometimes a simple program for complicated people. Uh, and I know that all the complications in my life are, uh, are of my own making. Um, and it was so uh, affirming to hear that uh, not only is it okay to, to have a simple kind of life and to keep your life simple, it's preferable and uh, actually um, perhaps even critically important for me as someone in recovery. You know, and those slogans remind me of, of another one that says, back to basics. You know, I don't know how many book studies conferences and meetings I've been to that that's the title back to basics it's as if we need reminding over and over and over again keep it simple one day at a time you know and all of those other slogans that that you were uh, referring to and for me I um, I found a real boost this is another tool I used I feel, found a real boost by attending a conference or a meeting um, of a gathering probably two or three times a year that were was regional, you know, so that it wasn't just my same old home group. It, it had new speakers. It had new blood. I got new ideas. Uh, other tools were shared. And going to those kind of things, also gave, they gave me this renewed sense of hope. You know, about the time I got bored, because remember, I'm always looking for more, then I would go to one of these conferences and I go, yeah, that's what I'm after. That's what I want. Yeah, I'm thinking now of um, 
my mind began to wander as it does. You know, we also always say first things first. You know, we're talking about multitasking, uh, always having too much going on, always looking for the next thing to get um, all involved with. That saying first things first, which I think is sort of one of the core, you know, we had a set of five signs um, and, and that was one of them. The other one was think and the think was upside down. I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, first things first is sort of the anti-multitasking, right? That idea that, that says I need to do everything right now. I need to get it all done. Uh, I need to be able to uh, juggle three or five different tasks at the same time. What first things first tells me is that it's okay. And this is another slow it down, calm down, slow it down. That's a theme for me. Uh, it says to, that I can slow down and, you know, use my judgment, uh, maybe turn within and check what is the next right thing to do and to do that thing. You know, whatever the next right thing is another way of saying first things first. And this is, this is uh, one of Stephen Covey's seven principles, is it not? So that's, uh, you know, that lends even extra credence to it. Something that has nothing to do with recovery is saying exactly the same thing. First things first, just step back, take a breath, um, you know, take in, assess what's going on and, and realize what is the next right thing to do and then do that one thing and let it, let it be, keep it simple. Let it be that, let it be done with that, be done with that. You know, for a very long time, my next right thing to do was to make a phone call. I was in such a fog when I arrived that I had no idea how to sort things out. I'll, I'll say it that way because everything, as we've talked earlier, seemed to be of equal importance and everything was urgent. And of course, when everything's urgent, nothing, <laughs> nothing right. gets priority, you know. And so um, I made this, this, this phone call and I, it was for me, it was essential to have a mentor, a guide, a therapist, a sponsor, people that I could trust and lean on, that I could, could um, believe, that I could have have trust in that they were going to guide me in a direction that was going to be helpful. And I would make the phone call. And it, it took me a long time before I got out of the make the phone call and I was told, do this, then call me back. Okay. You know, I was willing to do that. And I felt um, stupid, you know, because I, a, a person that had been and done the things that I'd, you know, know been done I thought ought to be able to figure out your own life without having to ask a stranger <laughs> you know what's the next right thing to do but it took me a long time to get the priorities sorted out and, and the slogans that you talked about helped a lot so I could always think of a next thing to do but I didn't always know what the next right thing to do and that's where instruction about spiritual principles came in like we're talking about the power of strength, you know, uh, when we when I would talk about, well, what's the next right thing to do? OK, well, are you going over principles? Or are you going over personalities? What is the basis of your decision making here? And for me, the power of strength is it's based on the power of choice. You know, uh, what am I choosing to hang on to here? What am I choosing to persevere doing? What am I willing to let go of? Absolutely. And the, the power of the slogans is the principles underneath them, not the slogans themselves. So let's move into action now, because Unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do right now uh, and carry into this week to move from a scattered life to the life you desire using focus and strength. So think of something in your life where your energy or focus is scattered. Do you have too many unfinished projects? Do you have more commitments on your calendar than you can possibly meet? 
or maybe you're always on the go and you're never taking time to rest and relax. What's important now is just to pick one thing, preferably a simple thing, so that we can take it into a quiet time here of prayer and meditation together. We simply relax and take it easy, uh, knowing there's no need to struggle. So, for example, let's use uh, feeling overwhelmed with too many unfinished projects. So, we use a statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to this idea of living in a scattered way. You could say something like, this feeling of being overwhelmed with too many projects has no power over me. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. This feeling of being overwhelmed with too many projects has no power over me. We follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I affirm the focus and strength of God is present in me. I use it now to get each thing done, one step at a time, one day at a time. And then we take a few quiet moments to relax and just take it easy. Again, there's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your dinner. So that feeling of being overwhelmed with too many projects has no power over me. I affirm the focus and strength of God is present in me. I use it now to get each thing done, one step at a time, one day at a time. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you've found something that can help you on your recovery path. And so we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you so much to Reverend Dan Beckett for the insights shared in our discussion today. Listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.